You are listening to Behind the Ballot Box, Jewish Values and Our Vote, with Rabbi Jesse Olitsky and friends, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about this and other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. And don't forget to vote. Welcome to Behind the Ballot Box, Jewish Values and Our Vote. I'm your host, Rabbi Jesse Olitsky of Congregation Bethel in South Orange, New Jersey. As millions have already begun voting with early voting in states across the country, Election Day is not just rapidly approaching, the election is here. And to talk about one of the issues facing Americans and the Jewish community this upcoming election, I have with me my good friend Jordana Horn-Gordon today to talk about uh, voting rights and what's at stake in this upcoming election. We know that the Jewish vote and the Jewish voter is not monolithic. We don't just care about a single issue. In each episode, we focus on a different issue. In this episode, we focus on voting rights. Jordana is very involved locally in voter access issues. She is co-chair of National Council for Jewish Women's Essex Chapters Get Out the Vote Initiative and chair of the Jewish Federation of Greater Metro West New Jersey's Community Relation Council's Election Committee. She also co-hosts the Call Your Mother podcast with Shannon Sarna Goldberg and is contributing editor for Feller. What's up, Jordana? Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. So I have to say, I was getting a little anxious as I was seeing friends on Facebook receiving their mail-in ballots in the mail. Uh, I just received mine today in the mail, and I opened it up, and I was fill- I have to make sure I'm filling out all the bubbles correctly and putting it in the multiple envelopes, and I'm going to drop it off our county, Essex County, New Jersey. Uh, throughout the state of New Jersey, actually, there are drop-off boxes that you can uh, return your mail-in ballots to directly since there is concern with the United States Postal Service. So let's start there. Um, with voting rights at stake, we know that our, our, our goal as Americans is to be a democratic country. And as a democracy, you want to make sure as many people are involved in that democracy as possible, as many voices are heard, as many people cast their votes. Why is this controversial? That's a great question. That's the um, that's the one billion dollar question. Um, to my mind, it is not controversial. That's the seven hundred and fifty dollar question. Oh man, yes, yes, much better. Um, but um, yeah, I think that you have to be very wary of anyone who holds on to power by suppressing the voice of the people, um, as you just articulated. A democracy is only as strong as the amount of people who participate in it. Um, That's how you make a strong democracy. That's how you get a government that is accountable. Because when they believe that they have to respond to people from every every line of life, um, then you have more accountability and you have a better government, a government that's working harder for you. So why is this an issue? Um, Well, I think it's not, I I don't know. I mean, I feel that right now everything is partisan. So I guess I'll just say that, you know, you have a president who has made an aggressive effort 
to attempt to delegitimize a lot of institutions in American life, not least of which is voting. Um, the idea that he propagates of mail-in voting um, somehow being more um, riddled with fraud is patently untrue. Um, and moreover, there are five states in America that have been um, universal mail-in voting as our mutual state, New Jersey, has just gone to. And I also was very excited to receive my ballot in the mail yesterday. And um, I was actually on a um, campaign. I was teaching people um, how in, in one of my, I am also full disclosure, um, separate from my voting access work, I do uh, campaign for um, Democrats. So I was going into how to fill out the ballot. Um, and it, listen, you know, anytime people are embarking upon a new line of behavior, um, as you know, there are hurdles to overcome. And now it seems like the cost has never been higher, right? Um, you know, you, you have to do everything specifically and you have, and you know, this is a time when my, I'm a retired lawyer. So when my, you know, law background actually like comes in is, and is somewhat useful is um, other than, you know, refereeing fights with children, um, you know, because everything has to be, the T's have to be crossed and the I's have to be dotted. So, um, that's a long-winded way of answering your question, because really what it is, is I believe in voter access for all. And I believe I would, I would not, uh, I would give the same information to someone who is going to vote differently from me, because my priority is making sure that every single person who has the ability to vote in this country votes period, whether I agree with them or not, because I believe that's what, to me, that's what America is. And that's what make that, that is, um, forgive me, what makes us great, so. I'm going to try to be as nonpartisan as possible. This is a nonpartisan podcast and we have different perspectives. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so I worry about making this generalization, but there is a generalization out there that suggests that Democrats are trying to get more people to vote and Republicans are trying to prevent more people from voting, um, whether it is voter suppression um, or, or what have you. You know, there are some suggestions that that is what LaJoy was doing with the Postal Service, trying to prevent or, or delegitimize the mail-in voting access and option. Uh, and I, I sort of wonder, I, I think, is that the reality? We are in a state in our country, 20 years into this millennium, five presidential election cycles. And in four of those uh, five, we have cases where uh, the, I'm, I'm sorry, in two of those Five, we have cases where the president did not receive the popular vote, did not receive more votes than their opponents. And yet because of the electoral college, they were still able to win. And I understand the electoral college is how president is determined. We look at the Senate, 
which is meant to have equal representation from state to state. And you have a state like Wyoming that has the same representation as a state like California, uh, when a city like DC or uh, a territory like Puerto Rico doesn't have any representation in the Senate, you have 12 million more votes for Democratic senatorial candidates in 2018 than Republicans. And yet the Republicans actually expanded their advantage in the Senate. And, and so it seems to me that, again, not trying to be partisan, but it seems to me that the Republican candidates achieve what they want when fewer people vote. Is that fair? So I would say that, um, I would say that the voting access battle in the United States, it's become um, like, and I'm gonna add, like everything else in 2020, including things like, I don't know, science, like everything has become rabidly partisan, right? Um, like I'm thinking about how the Wisconsin primary um, took place in April because Republican legislators in that state shut down the governor's executive order um, attempting to postpone in-person voting because of COVID-19. Um, and, you know, you have, in other words, when you start to see a pattern of these recurring events. And I, and I want to add that, you know, this is only voting access is one element. Um, and that's, that's like a bigger discussion for another time. In other words, we can talk about the electoral college, we can talk about gerrymandering, you know, there's a lot that we can talk about in terms of the people's direct ability to influence who is in their government. But I'll say this, you know, on the Senate floor in January of 2019, uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he announced his opposition to what would seem to me to be a relatively uncontroversial measure, making Election Day a federal holiday um, in order to make it easier for people to get to the polls. Because really, when you look at things um, at a granular level, right, maybe you or I are fortunate enough that we can go to the polls on election day in a normal year. I'm not talking about a pandemic year. We can discuss pandemic later. But um, in a normal year, we can go to the pool polls. And if we have to wait a little bit, you know, okay, like we have to wait, you know, and then we'll, we'll text someone or call and say, sorry, I'm going to be late, you know, to meet you or to have an appointment. It's okay. Um, but when you're an hourly wage earner, you don't have that ability um, and not only that, but what about when, you know, the number of polling places in your area is closed down dramatically, right? I mean, you know, I think that there is a recent story in the Atlantic that talked about um, the fact that in America, Black voters on average wait 45% longer to vote than white voters, and the Latino voters wait 46% longer and that's due in no small part to the changes in polling center access. Um, but, even, but even then, you know, um, voting by mail doesn't necessarily eradicate those inequities. Um, so because like uh, one study was the ACLU of Florida and they found that black and Latino voters were more than twice as likely to have their mail-in ballots rejected as white voters, and that's a mixture of voter error and vagaries in how the state processes ballots. Um, 
and you know because educational efforts right like you said you know that the ballot is not uh it's not so easy right like to, of a vote by mail ballot there are a lot of steps there are a lot of things that you took can me like an hour and a half because i also want to make sure i didn't mess it up i want to make sure it was counted a hundred percent um and so educational initiatives exactly you know and educational efforts regarding vote by mail those aren't necessarily omnipresent and they're not equally accessible right you don't have internet right now how are you going to get this information and there's a desperate need, you know, in, in, in some places, um, you have people who are lobbying for efforts to allow mail-in voters to cure their ballots. That means that let's say that there's a discrepancy between your signature on your mail-in ballot and the signature that they have for you on record, right? The one that you would look at in an ordinary year at the polling booth and sign your name right under and they would say, okay, you're the same person. But now it's being scrutinized. Um, so what if you normally sign your name? I normally sign my name Jordana Horn Dash Gordon, but I leave out the dash, right? So they're going to get in touch with me and be like, we got this. It's not the same. We're going to give you an opportunity to cure that. That's because of lobbying by, not to make a generalization, Democrats. Um, so it, it's... Um, it's very hard. I, I make an aggressive effort in 2020 not to see things as black and white and not to see things as one side is doing X, the other side is doing Y, because as we know, the truth is often a blend of things in the middle. But I think that the problem is that um, when you have more accessibility, um, is there a tendency to go blue? Um, there is, there is. Um, and so it's very hard if you are in a state where you have, um, where you have one party in power for that party to contemplate ways that would allow different people to become in power. Um, and so I think that, you know, you have these universal uh, vote by mail states um, Colorado, Hawaii, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. Um, and now with this election, our state, New Jersey, has gone to universal vote by mail, um, as has Vermont. And I want to say two more, and I don't know off the top of my head, and I'm sorry. Um, but those states, those states are not red states. When we also talk about voter suppression, many states um, prohibit felons uh, those who either are out on parole or are, are finished with parole but have formerly been incarcerated have done their time, right? Have, have done what us Jews would call tshuva, have prohibited them from voting. Uh, there was a, a big ballot initiative in 2018 in Florida that would allow formerly incarcerated individuals from voting, uh, gaining. Uh, another over a million, I, b I believe it was. Um, mm -hmm. um, maybe I, I'm overstating that number. No, I think that's correct. Uh, uh, potential voters. And then it was passed by the, the state house and the governor uh, and went to actually the state Supreme Court that there was a essentially a poll tax uh, that they would have to pay, that they had different fines from their legal fees from what led them to be imprisoned to begin with, 
that they would have to pay off in order to vote. And it really caught my attention when you were talking about somebody of with privilege, somebody who has flexibility in their schedule, they can wait in line for 45 minutes. You know, on election day in 2016, I said, we're going to school late today and we're going to go to breakfast afterwards because I think you and I also saw that day at the time as what we thought was going to be a, a sort of a Shekhianu moment. And they took our children and they came into the, the, the voting booth with me and it was okay that they were late for school and it was okay that I, I didn't go to work earlier than I, you know, early as I usually do. We went to breakfast afterwards. But if somebody doesn't have that opportunity, then voting is a problem. If somebody doesn't have the ability to pay off legal fees from a situation that was from a past life that is preventing them from voting now. Correct. And you can't just, you know, bank on, no pun intended, uh, Mike Bloomberg coming in and, uh, you know, um, buying around on the house. Um, you know, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm going to highlight this point. Um, voting access should be a bipartisan issue, period. Full stop. Because that's what we're all about as a country and as a democracy. That's critical to our identity. Um, and again, this is tabling like a lot of different issues like gerrymandering and, um, you know, uh, the electoral college and all these other, you know, all these other structural issues. We can talk about that another day, right? But the issue that everyone should vote should be not only bipartisan, but actually nonpartisan because it should be the baseline of our common identity. Um, and I think that that's one of the many sad things that has transpired in this year. Um, the highly inflammatory rhetoric um, that's being used very cynically and very deliberately by our president is very problematic. Um, you know, to, because I don't know if you're aware that, I mean, obviously you're aware that he, re he regularly denigrates um, vote by mail, um, making false allegations about the amount of fraud that transpires, which by the way, there's like next to none, um, and regularly attacking it. But then he tweets out, hey, Florida, your mail-in ballots are coming. Don't forget, send them in. You know, it's so important, like, okay. And it almost sounds like he doesn't want, he, 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 he doesn't discredit all mail-in ballots, only Correct. the ones that are voting for somebody else. Correct, and, and coincidentally, I'm sure in 2016, more mail-in ballots in Florida went to Donald Trump than to Hillary Clinton. I'm sure that's a coincidence. Um, I'm being sarcastic for those people listening who may not know me. So, um, you know, I, I but I think that um, I think we're we're talking about like lots of different levels of their systemic problems, um, and the and the idea that the brunt of these of voter suppression tactics um, are being borne by communities of color and historically underrepresented communities. I mean, if you just look at um, for the primaries uh, back over the summer, that Kentucky's Secretary of State closed 3,000 polling places, right? 
and deliberately targeting the state's black residents in doing so. Um, thousands of citizens never even got their mail-in ballots. Um, you know, Georgia's Secretary of State um, in the primary forced voters to wait in the long lines for hours. I mean, people were literally waiting for, you know, five hours and then getting there and finding broken voting machines. Um, you know, th that's a travesty. And I think that that would be a travesty no matter where that was taking place in our country, because everyone who can vote should vote. Um, and I guess another um, unsung voter suppression tactic is ignorance. Um, and, you know, whether that's deliberately created through misinformation or through lack of education about voting options. I mean, when you think about the fact that in 2016, um, you know what I, a lot of people I think are calling 2020 the most important election of our lifetimes. I'm yeah. gonna argue with, I'm gonna say it was 2016, but you I, know. I, I heard that four years ago. Potato, potato, like, you know, I mean, I, I think every election is critical, but the idea that in 2016, um, 100 million Americans for one reason or another did not vote. Um, it's shocking. I mean, it shocks me every time I hear it, and I find it very upsetting. And so I hope that um, I hope that we can actively work to change that. And I'm saying that whether they vote the way that I would or not. I appreciate that. I also think um, throwing on my my rabbi hat, um, Mishnah is pretty clear when it says "altifros minatzibor" that you shall not separate yourself from the community. Uh, it's integral that the, that the Jewish community, it's essential that they are an integral part of society wherever they live and that they are actively involved in the voting process because we've seen actually throughout Jewish history what happens when there isn't a Jewish voice, um, when um, we don't have representation to protect us. Um, and if we say that this is not our issue, which is very easy to say in 2020, when despite the rise of anti-Semitism, which is very scary, right, levels that I myself in my young age have not experienced in my lifetime until the past couple of years, the Jewish community in America is still the uh, safest and freest and most successful Jewish community in Jewish history outside of Israel, side of the, the state of Israel, land of Israel. And uh, we know how quickly that can change and has changed in, throughout the world, throughout our history, when we do not have a voice to protect us, when we are not there to protect us. And so I would say, especially uh, when it comes to voting, that is how you make sure your interests are taken seriously, whatever they may be, even if somebody's issues are different than my own. It's about their own interests and protecting them, or God willing, protecting all of us, but it's also remembering that if there is a system that is in place which denies somebody access yeah. and the ability to vote, then they aren't able to protect themselves. And we want each person to protect themselves in the same way we want to protect ourselves 
And also we have an obligation to not just protect ourselves, but protect other people as well. So when we talk about altifros minatsibor, do not separate yourself from the community, it's not just about protecting ourselves, but it's about making sure that our vote protects others as well. Agreed. Um, and uh, the late and great John Lewis said, you know, that the vote is the most powerful nonviolent tool that we have. Um, which may, yeah, you know, which may, you may, maybe you hear it and you're like, yeah, yeah. But actually, that's where you can make a real difference. And I, like you, believe that we are obligated to take on that responsibility, not only for ourselves, not only for our community as Jews. Um, yeah, and when I say that, I say, like, for example, um, when there are, when uh, QAnon, and other hate groups are growing in influence and in stature and strength. It's up to us to take a stand with the people who stand against them, um, not with the people who are complicit um, in propagating their materials, um, you know, in sending out their dog whistles. So I feel that it is incumbent upon us to stand up for um, to stand up for ourselves, but to stand up for people who cannot stand up for themselves as well. So I want to ask you, right, we live in a state that has gone out of its way during a pandemic to make sure that as many voters as possible are still able to participate in the democratic process with universal mail-in voting, um, as much as the president has claimed that it's uh, encourages fraud, whatever that that's, but we have a, a um, governor and a state government that has made voting accessible to all of its uh, citizens who will reside in the state. What do we do? How, what can I do living in New Jersey to help make sure the same is true for people who live elsewhere across the country where that is not the case? I just saw that the governor of Texas today declare that they would be closing most of the drop-off uh, ballot boxes for, for those who requested mail-in ballots and are concerned about the Postal Service that, like our state, you could drop them off um, at different places across uh, each county and they'll be closing off most of them so there's only one per county and some of those counties are massive. Right, right. Um, I mean, I think that, um, so I think that there are a few things that we can do. Um, I think that on the larger scale, we can actively take on that responsibility that, um, that we've both alluded to of working on behalf of communities beyond our own. Um, there's a, the, there are nonpartisan voter access, excuse me, uh, voter access campaigns that people, particularly I would say, who live in states like ours should join and be active in. Um, one of my favorite ones is the nonpartisan Reclaim Our Vote campaign. Um, they've reached out to nearly a million voters of color in states like Georgia and Alabama and Virginia and Texas and Mississippi, states that do have a long history of voter suppression. Um, for example, in December 2017, they did phone bank calls and they helped increase turnout among rural voters of color by 
in the Alabama special election of Doug Jones. So um, what you're trying to bridge there is the education gap, right? Um, you know, where information is not always equally accessible, you're trying to help. Um, and this year, Reclaim Our Vote is working toward a 20% increase in turnout among voters of color in at least four states and a significant percentage increase in others. Um, in 2020, their target states are North Carolina, Texas, Arizona, Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia. And the tools that are available to us, even in New Jersey, are postcards and phone banks, text banks, um, get out the vote billboards you can donate to, um, canvassing, rides to the polls, um, and election monitoring. So I think that, um, you know, they're, for example, contacting elderly voters who've been unfairly purged from the voting rolls, um, labeled as dead, who are not dead. Um, so, um, and also encouraging voter registration among um, 20-somethings um, in North Carolina. And so those are things that you can do, but also, you know, that's on, like, that's on a national scale of things that you can do, regardless of who you're voting for, to help people in other places realize their right to vote. Awesome. And the election is uh, upon us. What do we do to make sure that our votes are counted? Um, are there things that we can do once we've mailed them in to make sure that they've been processed, uh, yes. that it hasn't been discarded as some claim that they have been. Right, so I would recommend, um, if you're in New Jersey, I would recommend votebymailnj.org as the best possible resource about voting by mail in New Jersey. There are pictures of the ballots for every single county in New Jersey, um, so what they should look like. They're frequently asked questions, and it's really the best resource out there. Um, it also it also is a great place where there's a link to, um, you drop down on the menu to the question that everyone wants to know, where is my ballot? And you can register there with your information, with however you registered to vote, whether it was through the DMV or through your social security number. And then you can track your ballot, you know, the same way that if you're waiting for the AAA person, um, you know, they'll tell the little blue dot on your phone will tell you, you know, they're nine minutes away. You're nine minutes away from a new car battery. Um, this will tell you and will provide reassurance to you um, that where your ballot is in the process once you let it go, whether through a mail shoot or into a ballot box. Um, this will tell you whether it's been received and later on in the process, whether it's been counted. Um, so I would say that my main advice to anyone voting in Essex County, New Jersey, is that there, <laughs> there's a dotted line on the ballot that says, do not detach. And I realize that we Jews are so contrarian and you know we always wanna fight back when we're given an instruction. Um, but really my advice is do not detach it. Um, the person who rips that and detaches that is not you. That person is the person at the Board of Elections who's doing it to confirm that you voted and that this is your one and only vote. If you detach it, 
you're, it's like you're disemboweling your ballot. Your ballot will not be counted. Um, then you're going to have to go to the county clerk and, you know, investigate what you can do, um, whether you can vote provisionally, all those things. I can't answer those questions. Don't go down that road. Do not detach. Do not. And if somebody does not receive their mail-in ballot in our states, um, can they vote in person on election day? So if you have not received your ballot in person, um, first of all, I know that like you, when you start seeing people on social media post pictures of your ballot and you don't have your ballot, um, it's sort of all the FOMO feelings of social media times a billion of, am I going to have a voice in my democracy? Has something happened to my ballot? Because that preys upon the uncertainty that has been deliberately cultivated in you. Um, by various uh, voices and parties. So I would say that what you need to do is if you are in New Jersey um, if you, and you have not received your ballot by October 5th, you should call your county clerk and follow up with them there and then they will tell you what to do. Great. You know, um, we, we just read a couple of weeks ago in our tour reading cycle um, as we're preparing for the end of the uh, reading of, of the Torah. Um, this will actually air after the fact. This will air um, once we've begun hearing the Torah again, post Simcha Torah. But we just read in Parshat Nitzavim, Atem Nitzavim Chayom, Kulchem Lifnei Adonai Loechem. This call out that Moses says to all of Israel that all of you are standing here before God today. Rashechem, Shiftechem, Zignechem, Veshotrechem, Kol Ish Yisrael, Tapchem, Nashechem, Vegercha, Asher Bekerv, Machanecha. Uh, this idea that everybody, the heads of the tribes, the leaders, those who are super duper important and, and, and have a lot of power, uh, men, women, children, even the stranger within your camp, the wood chopper and the water drawer, that everybody is present and everybody is counted in that moment. I, I can't think of anything that exemplifies those verses more than the experience of voting that it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how many years of schooling you have, it doesn't matter what your job title is, it doesn't matter where in the country you live, although with the electoral college you can argue that, um, but in theory, right, every vote counts the same. And it, it's the great equalizer. And our job, our responsibility is just to make sure that it truly is that everybody who wants to vote is given the same opportunity to do so. And some aren't pushed to the head of the line while others are having to jump over barricades to have that opportunity. That's absolutely right. Um, you know, it's the one thing where at the end of the day, um, my vote, your vote, the governor's vote, um, you know, the, the guy who takes the garbage, the woman who draws your blood, um, the teacher, every single person in our community. Um, and there's so few right now in 2020, um, there's so few chances, even for that feeling of we're all in this together. Um, and this is genuinely the moment that I feel that uh, you know, part of my battle is um, 
making everyone in this, there's a sort of um, self-induced paralysis um, to the doom scrolling on our phones and, you know, the, what it, what's the expression, the nattering nabobs of negativity all around us, you know, of saying, I don't count, I don't matter. Um, in Judaism, we, we fervently believe that every single person counts, every person. To, I mean, to me, part of my motivation is religious because I do believe that every single person is imbued with that spark of the divine. Um, and so equality is not, um, it's not a situation of lowest common denominator. It's all of us at our most essential selves expressing that. Um, and whatever the outcome is, you know, if we all take the opportunity to express ourselves, you know, then that's, that is the voice of the people. And you want it to be a complete voice and a wholehearted voice, um, taking in as many different perspectives as possible. And so get out and vote however, however you want to do it. Um, make sure that you do it. And by the way, only once. It's not legal to vote more than once in any state. Just thought, Amen. I'd, just thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah. Thank you so much to Jordana Horn-Gordon for this conversation and listen to her. If you don't, she'll come after you. She, I, she, I might, I might. I got a lot of anger. So, you know, no, I will not come after you. This is not a threat. This is simply saying, please, 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 please vote. It's critical for you. It's critical for our country and it's critical for our children. And um, as you, you mentioned, Representative Lewis of Blessed Memory, um, who risked his life almost died for the right to vote. Uh, he famously said that if, it wa if your vote wasn't important, they wouldn't try to take it away from you. Um, so please don't forget to vote. As always, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. You can follow me on Twitter at J-M-O-L-I-T-Z-K-Y. If you want some insight, some mic drops on Twitter, you can follow Jordana at Jordana Kvels at J-O-R-D-A-N-A-K-V-E-L-L-S. Don't forget to vote and stay safe, everyone. Take care.